the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us on AM 1420. The answers we begin at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the fourth morning of the month of December in the year of our Lord 2018. We have a packed show today and it's going to be very uh, varied. It's going to be very varied. How about that? Uh, yes, we have a lot of different things to do today. Coming up in about a half an hour, a little less, we're going to talk to um, Lori Cardozamore and Mike Goldstein with uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. A, p- a pretty big bill, an anti-Semitism bill, was actually passed uh, through the Ohio State Senate uh, and the General Assembly, actually. Uh, just last week, and uh, it went under the radar. Not a lot of people know a lot about it. They don't know what uh, uh, HCR 10 was and what it means, but it's pretty important. It really is with respect to anti-Semitism, and if you have not heard of BDS, uh, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction uh, uh, with respect to Israel, then you're going to want to learn this. It's important, and uh, we're going to talk to Lori and Mike at about 9.35 this morning. Coming up at 10.05, you get special bonus Jordan today, meaning Congressman Jordan. He was unable to be with us yesterday due to his legislative schedule, so he's going to be joining us at about 10.05, and if you're saying, hey, Bob, wait a minute, 10.05 is cursing out time, you're right, uh, but today 10.35 is cursing out time, so Peter will be joining us at that moment, so make sure you are with us for those fantastic guests, and of course, in, before... After and around those guests, I will talk to you, and I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You can also tweet to me if you choose, although I am really, really starting to phase Twitter out of my life, despite my need and understanding uh, of the the danger of surrendering the platform to the leftists. I'm just getting so much more disenchanted with the entire medium. 
But uh, for now, I'm on Twitter at Radio Done Right. Radio Done Right, one word, no spaces, no underscores. Facebook, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. Again, all one word there, and no spaces and no underscores. Um, the remains, the body of former President George H.W. Bush lies in state right now at the U.S. Rotunda. And yesterday, President Donald Trump, along with First Lady Melania Trump, um paid their respects it has been uh, just exactly what it should have been uh, it was very respectful it was there was no there was no um, grandstanding by anybody there were no accusations and allegations there were no hard feelings because the two families the trumps and the bushes have had their run-ins obviously through the last couple of years in particular especially with the very bitter and contentious battle between President Trump, when he was candidate Trump, and former Governor Jeb Bush. We all know there have been some uh, statements made by the now deceased uh, George H.W. Bush about the current President Donald Trump, but yesterday everything went well, and that's a good thing. There's an interesting article that I want to share portions of with you by Charles Hurd in the Washington Times, however, suggesting that all of the glorification of the career and the life of service led by George H.W. Bush, Bush 41. All of this uh, memorialization and glorification of that life is keyed and is, uh, is being driven essentially by an attempt to smash Donald Trump. And he makes a f- fairly compelling argument. In other words... He is suggesting that the reason everybody is being so over the top, in his opinion, in the Washington Times opinion, that they are being so over the top um, loving and and appreciative of President George H.W. Bush is so that they can make Donald Trump look bad by comparison between the two. It has been nothing short of miraculous in this new season of Advent to hear all of the hosannas and applause for our recently departed former President George H.W. Bush. In the New York Times, Mr. Bush was heralded for his uncommon grace. The Washington Post called him a giant of a man, the most uh, kind and considerate person I've ever known, the most beautiful creature I had ever laid eyes on. Not your typical remembrances from jaded politicos and mere mortals especially if the mortal happens to be a Republican politician. Where were all of these lofty accolades when Mr. Bush was alive? Where was all this love when he was president? Where was this towering regard for the man that he was when he was losing his re-election campaign in 1992? Oh, that's right. The press lies, and there is no time to lie about someone like once they are dead and no longer pose any threat. When President Bush was alive and still a threat in politics writes the Washington Times, he was scorned and ridiculed by the press. He was doddering and out of touch. Patrician, they called him. A buffoon who barfed in the lap of the Japanese prime minister during a state dinner. Even in later years, long after Mr. Bush uh, no longer posed any real threat, the press ran with the ridiculous stories accusing him of being an Ironsides groper. Yes, this would be the same man that the media sided against in 1992 to help elect Bill Clinton. This would be the same Bill Clinton credibly accused of rape by numerous respectable and reliable women. Whatever. All of this fawning praise for George H.W. Bush certainly rings hollow by any standards. Then it all clicks and makes sense again. 
even on the eve of Mr. Bush's state funeral. This is not about George H.W. Bush. This is all about the current occupant of the White House, President Trump. We all know how much the press hates Donald Trump, at least now that he is president. They despise him and those support him so deeply that by comparison, George H.W. Bush was a man of uncommon grace, giant of a man, most kind and considerate, most beautiful creature. Even the ridiculously partisan and myopically political Saturday Night Live paid tribute to Mr. Bush. Then, of course, they realized their true selves, revealed their true selves, by reprising the angry Alec Baldwin in his unfunny role as President Trump with inexplicably puckered lips. The Washington Post, too, neared the line with an editorial in which they mourned George George H.W. Bush and the presidency's loss of dignity. Get it? Sure, they're sorry to see George H.W. Bush go, but mainly they just hate Donald Trump. One of the paper's dimmest writers, the vacuous and principally unburdened Max Boot, was dispatched to put a fine point on the real reason for the season. George H.W. Bush, he opined, is the anti-Trump. There it is. All the sudden praise, all the accolades, the surprise love affair with George H.W. Bush, it's all just another vehicle for demonstrating their hatred for Donald Trump. It is true that Mr. Trump is certainly cut from a different cloth than was Mr. Bush. He comes from a different family, from a differing side of the track, or or river, or whatever. But read my lips. Whatever family Mr. Trump comes from, if he keeps on keeping his campaign promises, he will get himself re-elected president. And that will be just one more way Mr. Trump was different from Mr. Bush. That was in the Washington Times today, and I thought it was the most eloquent piece that I had read or seen or had been able to conceive myself to describe this. I, too, have been very, very troubled by the constant comparisons of the presidency as it was then with George H.W. Bush from 88 to 92, as it is today. One of the biggest differences... I think about then and now, of course, is the Internet. The press is no different. The press hasn't changed a lick, truthfully. They hate Republican presidents when they are presidents. The press treated George H.W. Bush like he was Satan himself. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They hated him. All right, I should probably revise that. They didn't, they didn't treat him like that. They saved that for Donald Trump. First, they did it to George W. Bush, and then now, of course, at a, at a, at a next level to Donald Trump. But the point is the press absolutely did not give George H.W. Bush a fair shake any more than they gave his son a fair shake, any more than they're giving Donald Trump a fair shake. That's what the press does. But once they're gone... As the Washington Times so eloquently stated, once they're gone, and moreover, if there is a worse version of a Republican president, in their mind, in office at the time, they will use one in order to slander the other. George W. Bush, for all of his failings when he was president and all of the things they attacked him for, George H. W. Bush was a kind man, a dignified man, a gentle soul. Donald Trump is a rough, abrasive trash-talking, cursing, you know, type of uh, a president that diminishes and demeans the integrity of the office. In other words, good thing George H.W. Bush died. Now we have some new ammunition to, to use against Donald Trump. 
And that's exactly what the media is doing. I feel terrible. I feel sad for the Bush family that so much of this is indeed focusing on the kindness of their loved and lost George H.W. Bush so that they can use it to trash Donald Trump. Now, I know most of them don't like Donald Trump either. If you recall, President Trump was not invited to the funeral of George H.W. Bush's wife of 72 years. That's crazy, by the way. God bless them for that. But when Barbara Bush passed away around eight months ago, if you remember, President Bush didn't, or Trump did not go to the funeral. He was, uh, he was uninvited at the request of Barbara Bush. No such animosity exists, at least now, or at least they're burying it, because, again, he did uh, visit and pay his respects uh, to, the, uh, to the casket to containing the body of the late president uh, yesterday, and he will be at the funeral. But the point of all of this is very true, that they are using the Bush family's grief as political opportunity to take more shots at Donald Trump. This is why he can't be reelected. Essentially, this is what the press is focusing on right now. Voters, middle-class America, do you remember the decency of a man like George H.W. Bush? And by the way, this is very hard to discuss. Because I believe in everything that I'm saying about George H.W. Bush. He was a kind and gentle soul. He was a, a, a strong man. He was a man who gave his life, literally, his entire professional life in service to the country, whether it be at war in World War II, whether it be in Congress, whether it be working uh, for the government, whether it be as vice president, whether it be uh, as president. He really served in so many different capacities, and I want to pay homage to him simply for him. But the truth is, the press that despised him in 1988, well, really from 1980 on, after all, he was Reagan's number two, and the press hated him as well. But but George H.W. Bush was treated like garbage from 1980 to 1992, but now that there's a chance to take a bigger bite out of the current president that they despise even more, it's time to uh, put a spit shine on the Bush 41 legacy. Now we're going to say great things about him to say, don't you remember how great it was then? Because look at how bad it is now. Voters, you can't possibly want two more years of this after looking at the comparison to the dignified, gracious, gentle, humorous George H.W. Bush. Because to be quite frank, Donald Trump doesn't really wear any of those adjectives. He's not gentle. He's rough. He's abrasive. He's not funny. He's brash. He's coarse. He's not going to be considered courageous. George H.W. Bush went to war. Donald Trump avoided it. So Donald Trump is going to wear all of the negative that they are saying about George H.W. Bush in the positive. And it's a crying shame that the press and the left would use a man's death and a family's grieving as an opportunity to score political points against a sitting president. But that's how bad it has truly gotten. I want to ask you this question before we go to our time out here because I'm going to try to uh, conduct a little survey online. I'm going to use that uh, platform that I despise, Twitter, because they have a very easy-to-use polling service. Do you prefer the kindness and the character of the presidency, as exemplified by George H.W. Bush, 
or do you prefer the significant policy victories of somebody who doesn't display kindness and gentleness and character, but who's giving us victories economically, tax-wise, and others, such as Donald Trump? Because this is what the media is trying to do, is paint the two of them differently. I want to find out if you're buying it. I'm going to ask that poll question on Twitter, and if you are on that machine, please check it out. It's at Radio Done Right on Twitter, Radio Done Right. Cast your vote there and call me with your explanation of your answer. 216-901-0945. We're right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty six. Now the Bob France Authority continuing on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I just got a message on Facebook from somebody saying, "Bob, wasn't it Rahm Emanuel who said never let a tragedy go to waste?" Uh, well, to Jackie, it wasn't uh, exactly the exact same phrasing, but yes, Rahm Emanuel did say, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." And so I can see the you know the example there. I can see the point that you're making. They're using the death of President George H.W. Bush uh, to their benefit. It's a sadness. It's a tragedy. I don't know if I'd call it a crisis, which is this more specific definition given by uh, Emmanuel, but um, it is an opportunity is what it is to score political points and to take more pot shots at the current occupant of the White House. So uh, I think there is uh, some something to that, and I think the press is following that playbook pretty much to the letter. All right, let's go to the phones, 216-901-0945. We'll say good morning to Jan, who's waiting in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Jan. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, you know, after all, uh, Trump wasn't a Republican all his life. He was a Democrat for a while. So, uh, anyways, when they talk about disrespect, the press calling uh, uh, Trump disrespectful is like the... Uh, pot calling the kettle black who's more disrespectful and i think trump takes uh, too much of a beating uh he is his own person and we i think he is a man for the times and not to take anything away from uh uh the bushes but i don't think the bushes would have ever made a statement like well the police behaved stupidly like our previous president said so, uh, you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's beat up on Trump, and it's it's getting tiresome already. Yeah, well, it, 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 to me, it started to really get tiresome back even before the the election. But certainly once he won, it was like, you know, it was it was just no holds barred. And, and thank you, Jan. Uh, first of all, everything, by the way, that the previous president, Obama, said was going to be treated favorably by uh, uh, by the press. There's no question about it. Uh, you're right. No matter what he said, if it was negative to the police or so on and so forth, he was always going to be defended. If he had a gaffe, if he had a misstatement, he was going to be defended. But that's not the point here. The larger point is what you just said about uh, the way President Trump is regarded by the press. Um, they, they There is no doubt that they are his biggest enemy. But I think there also is some truth that President Trump is one of his own worst enemies, too. The president has decided to go a little bit, you know, to, to kind of go off half-cocked, as the old uh, 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 axiom is, it goes, you know, he, he does tend to be a little impulsive at times and say or do things that make the press, or give the press, rather, more ammunition to attack him. 
And that is something that you probably can't say about George H.W. Bush. So they're using that. They're using that against the president, saying he would always be measured and careful and articulated his responses to situations, whereas President Trump is quick and brash with the thumbs. And I've, I've even said this about his Twitter use and so on and so forth. Um, Rather than measured statements delivered by the White House on behalf of the president, sometimes they're quick, 140 to 280 characters at a time that cause problems. But the point of, to this is, this is not the time for that. Donald Trump doesn't have to be George H.W. Bush to be effective as a president. He does not have to be Bill Clinton, as suave and smooth and charismatic as Bill Clinton, or as articulate and as... And as um, you know, as warm appearing as Barack Obama tried to be. He doesn't have to be as folksy as George W. Bush was. He's his own guy. He does things his own way, and the measure of a man, in my estimation, should be in what he accomplishes, not in who he is best compared to. Compared to. Because as I said before, and I'll say again, I didn't vote for him to be an altar boy or a Boy Scout. I voted for him to get results for me, and that is thus far what he has done. The poll question is up. It's on uh, Twitter right now at France Radio or, or Radio Done Right. Find it there, and the question is, is what do you prefer in a president? Character? exemplified by the likes of George H.W. Bush or accomplishments like we have seen in tremendous numbers in the first two years of the Trump presidency. We'll get news now. Come right back on AM 1420 The End. All right, 935 now. The Bob Brandt's Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, I want to pivot away from presidential politics for a moment or two here to talk a little bit about uh, something that uh, kind of flew under the radar last week. There was a um, vote in the Ohio General Assembly, specifically after this cleared the Ohio Senate, uh, its passage of HCR 10, that um, is a lot more... Um, impactful than perhaps people realize that it is. And I, of course, have had to study this myself a little bit with the help of my next two guests to find out exactly how impactful that is. HCR 10 uh, essentially expresses the view and the opinion of the Ohio General Assembly, meaning your state representatives and senators and mine, meaning they speak for you and for me when they say that we will not tolerate anti-Semitism in the state of Ohio, and on a larger scale, we will not support anything that does indeed do the same by way of the worldwide B, uh, uh, BDS, which is the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions uh, effort to essentially undermine the existence of Israel. And joining us, and again, this was voted on just last week, then passed by the Ohio Senate. It's a big deal. Joining us now is uh, my friend uh, Mike Goldstein. Mike Goldstein is the State of Ohio Director of Proclaiming Justice to the Nations, and also joined by Lori Cardoza-Moore, who is the founder and the president of that organization, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. So, uh, Lori, Michael, thank you both very much for joining us. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having us. All right. So, Mike, obviously you and I chatted a little bit about this last week, so I'm going to let you start, even though Lori uh, is, the, uh, is the founder and the president of, uh, of the organization. But, but let's talk about the passage of this. And before we talk about that, um, this is not a law. There was no law that was changed. Uh, when this passed the Ohio Senate, this is a resolution. A, a resolution HCR 10 is just a resolution, and I understand that you and and uh, the the rest of the folks at Proclaiming Justice to the Nations are happy about that. You'd rather have it be a resolution rather than something that was passed into law. Tell me why. Yeah, I will. I want to say that um, doing legislation like this is 
just one aspect of the many things that PJTN does. And Lori will talk more about that, I'm sure, about the big picture, because sure. she's the person who really does it. Um, there's a substantive difference between a bill and a resolution. A bill, which is, you know, HB if it originates in the House, when it's passed by both chambers, the Senate and the, and the, uh, and the House, signed by the governor, it's incorporated into our laws, the Ohio Revised Code, and it becomes part of the law of Ohio, and it can create uh, personal or corporate obligations. It can have teeth such as criminal or civil sanctions. It's, uh, it, it, it's got a lot of teeth. A resolution is different, and this is a resolution. It doesn't add to, detract from, or in any way alter the law of Ohio, but it, what it does is publicly publicly proclaim the sentiments and policy of the people and the legislature of the state of Ohio and its advisory in nature. And HCR 10 is, of course, a resolution, not a statute. Um, and it has several advantages. Um, in the first place, if people don't like it, and there are people who uh, worked against it, they can't really sue. You hear about a statute being passed, and then there's immediately a lawsuit to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But the litigation would fail because this piece of legislation does not actually require any action. It doesn't impose any penalties. It doesn't convey any authority to the state to take any action against anyone or any group. And it doesn't curtail free speech in any way, and it doesn't disadvantage anybody. But what it does is set forth the opinion and policy. And it's very valuable because it conveys the opinion of the General Assembly and all the people of the state of Ohio through the General Assembly that the worldwide boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, the BDS movement, aimed at destroying the state of Israel and all the Jews living there, is harmful, unfair, and undemocratic. And uh, it talks about several specific ways that that this uh, resolution um, proclaims the opinion and the rights of Israel to undertake legitimate acts of self-defense, to uh, work on their own self-determination and many other things. It expresses the policy of Ohio's support for free speech for everyone on the campuses of Ohio's universities, uh, which is where there is a big anti, there's a big BDS movement on campus. And, um, let me let me interrupt you there, Mike, because I want to get to Lori, sure. and, I, and I want to bring her into this. And maybe, Lori, for those who don't know exactly what BDS means, we know that it stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, but can you talk about what that actually means and what kind of a threat it is to Israel and, and Israeli Jews? Absolutely. Um, and, Bob, let me just give our audience a background on PJTN and why we chose this resolution, um, because the Boycott, Divestment, and sanctions movement is to boycott Israel. It's the false accusation, the false narrative that we hear repeated all over the world by leaders, um, world leaders, by um, academia, um, even by some of these anti-Semitic groups that are active on college campuses. Um, The boycott is to boycott Israel, um, divestment, to divest any funds. Um, from the state of Israel, sanction, sanction the state of Israel, um, divest against businesses who do business with Israel. Now, there has, there is legislation that has been passed in several states across the country that deal with the economic and trade BDS. The resolution, we chose the resolution because the resolution would enable us to educate um, the citizens of the state of Ohio and other states. We've actually, Ohio 
is the 12th state to pass this resolution. There are three others that are active, Texas, Colorado, and North Carolina. But all of the states beforehand, because we see a growing anti-Semitic movement on college campuses, the resolution exposes this BDS movement. Uh, Students for Justice in Palestine, the Muslim Student Association, these groups are actively engaged in fueling the hatred against Israel based on the, the accusation, the false accusation, there's no proof, there's never been any proof substantiated that Israel or the Jews are occupying Palestinian land. Um, if we go back through history, and we don't have time on this show to do that, but going back through history, um, people can watch our Israel Indivisible documentary. They can order it on our website at pjtn.org. It gives the whole background and the history of how Israel came back into the land. But the reason why we chose this was because we see the movement, the incidence of anti-Semitism growing on college campuses, and this was a way to educate the citizens who pay the taxes for these campuses in, in our states, like in Ohio. It was an opportunity to um, inform the state legislature of this growing threat. Bob, you would be amazed at how many state legislators across the country in the states that we have have passed this resolution in that were not familiar with this movement. They were not aware that it was it was promoting anti-Semitism. So this gave us the ability to expose this group, these groups on campuses, to put them on notice, to let them know our state legislature is aware of what's going on now, and we're putting you the anti-Semitic groups on notice that you better not, we're not going to tolerate any activity like this on the campus. Now, Mike will also talk to you about the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act. That's the next phase. Now that we've got this passed, the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act will be the next thing. That will be legislation. We will adopt the U.S. State Department's definition of what constitutes anti-Semitism because as we see what's happening across the country on college campuses and now, Bob, in secondary schools as well, there's anti-Semitic incidents occurring across the country. This is our opportunity to, to draw a line in the sand, have a clear definition as to what constitutes anti-Semitism, and, and make sure that the Jewish students on our campuses are protected, they're secure, and they do not, their civil rights are not being violated. Lori Cardoza-Moore is the founder and president of uh, PJTN, which is Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Mike Goldstein is the state of Ohio director of that organization. Mike, what about that? And, and what about the fact that this would be a law? Do you expect it will be more difficult to pass through the Ohio General Assembly than the resolution was? Um, well, Lori and I are going to be working on this beginning tomorrow. We're going to be going down to Columbus, meeting with uh, the president of the Senate, meeting with people from the House and discussing our legislative agenda for 2019. We don't want any surprises. And um, now that we've begun to educate the people, um, we'll be able to talk to them specifically about adopting the uh, State Department definition of anti-Semitism. Isn't it amazing that there's nothing in our law that actually defines it? I know. That is, that, that is very well, strange. I mean, if the State Department has it, why does the state of Ohio not you know, adopt the same? It, it should be a no-brainer, actually. It's also been adopted by the U.S. Department of Education, the Office of Civil Rights, with its new um, assistant, uh, Secretary Ken Marcus, came over from the Brandeis Center, Lewis Brandeis Center for Human Rights under the law, came over to the uh, government. Can I, I, I sure, Lori, go ahead. I want to interject here because you asked Mike, do you think that this will 
um, be a problem passing. Be tougher to pass. The the, well, at least I don't know about a problem, but be tougher to pass. It's tougher to get well, the uh, representatives and senators on board than just the resolution was. Exactly. And this is why we did the resolution first. We had to lay the groundwork. We had to do the education first to, to justify why the need. And so that's why we believe that because of the work we've already done, it's going to pave the way for successful passage and introduction, introduction and passage into the state of Ohio. So we will be working on actually that in several states across the country. But also, Bob, I just want to remind the audience, the mission of proclaiming justice to the nations is to educate Christians about their biblical responsibility to stand with our Jewish brethren and the state of Israel against the rise of global anti-Semitism. And that's why these initiatives whether it's whether anti-Semitism shows up in our community, like what we saw in Pittsburgh, God forbid, and on our college campuses and in our secondary school textbooks, we are going to expose it and fight it. We cannot, as a country, tolerate this type of anti-Semitism because anti-Semitism only leads to anti-faith bigotry. We see a rise of Christian anti-Semitism as well going on here in the United States and around the globe. So it's not a surprise that these we're seeing these two issues coming to the forefront now in this generation. Let me ask yeah, you both. The, let go, me ask you both about the, the. Hold on a second, Mike. I want to ask you both about the the All part right. about campus and 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 even in schools, even in you know uh, uh, high schools, junior highs, and so on. As Lori just said, there's even a rise in anti-Semitism in those places. I, I, I'm looking at the two parts of the story that you just told. It's the definition that the State Department has adopted, as you pointed out, about anti-Semitism has also been adopted by the Department of Education, if I heard you correctly, and yet this is going on in schools all across America. How, how do you suppose, what's the purpose of the adoption of the of the definition if it's not going to be enforced by administra- administrators and teachers and so on and so forth, and well, extending to the higher education, uh, to campus leaders as well? Great well, question, it was just Bob, adopted and let me just answer. By... Okay, yeah, ahead, let me just answer this real quick, and then, Mike, I'm going to let you answer. Um, the problem is, is that the anti-Semitism that we are seeing evolve on college campuses and in secondary school campuses is not being treated as anti-Semitism. They're taking it, they're making it blanket and saying, oh, it's just discrimination, it's just this, it's just that. No, it's specifically targeted at Jews. And we saw this in Tennessee with, um, with incidents on the college campuses there in that state where we saw anti-Semitism and the administration did not deal, they didn't go back. And of course we don't have the, the U.S. State Department, or the, the U.S. State Department uses that definition, the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act, to gauge anti-Semitic incidents globally. There is no law in Congress that adopts that same language. The Department of Education now, under Ken Marcus, has, de- has decided that they are going to use this definition when they are dealing with anti-Semitism, but the administrators on secondary schools and the administrators in on college campuses not applying this definition, and that's what has to be corrected. So if we can get this passed in the state, that way each state will have a definition So when these incidents occur, that will be the measuring line as to whether the incident crosses the line into anti-Semitism. If it does, it launches a federal investigation to ensure um, that the civil rights of the Jewish students on campus 
have not been violated. There was a recent incident at UTK, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where there were swastikas spray-painted two nights in a row on this rock that people go and express their views on. And one of the Jewish students who was interviewed in a, by the local press said on camera, I no longer feel safe on this campus. Her civil rights are being violated because she feels threatened by the people who are continuing to push these anti-Semitic images on the college campus there at UTK. Mike. Yeah, and we, and we have opened uh, discussions with uh, the Department of Education to work with them uh, regarding K-12 uh, education as well, because there is, uh, there is Islamic infiltration into our K-12. If you, um, if you talk to your children or grandchildren who takes the seventh grade world history, um, we review textbooks also for um, improper or false information, uh, inaccurate information that all goes one way, anti-American, anti-Jewish, anti-Christian. <coughs> but um, also uh, there are uh, Islamic uh, organizations that provide curricula to our K-12 education free, and... Um, the teachers don't have to do anything but parrot what they're given. And if you look it's at what the kids are bringing home for their activities, it'll scare, scare the heck out of you. So we are planning to work with the Department of Education on that, and we put together a white paper mm -hmm. and various things. I do want to say a couple of things about HDR 10, if we can go back to it. Well, we can, but we can, Mike, but I need a time out here. <clears throat> we're, on the, excuse me, we're on the clock, so okay. I'm going to ask you to hold on for a second here. We're talking to Lori, Lori Cardozamore and uh, uh, Michael Goldstein from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Let me get a quick time out and check our traffic here. We'll come back with a few minutes left uh, to discuss more about uh, uh, HCR 10, which did indeed pass in the state of Ohio last week. That'll be coming up right here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it's 9.56. I only have four minutes left. Let's make them count as we uh, bring back Michael Goldstein uh, and uh, Lori Cardoza-Moore from the Pro uh, uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Michael, you wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, a, uh, HCR 10 that passed last week. Go right ahead. Yeah, I want to talk about the fact that in working on this, this resolution for two years, we created a coalition of similar groups that worked on it and will work with us in the future on, on the legislation we want to pass. A PJTN is a Christian organization, and our coalition consisted of us, um, the Ohio Christian Alliance, President Chris Long, um, Kufi Christians United for Israel, the Ohio State Director Ed Douglas, and Agudath Israel of America, um, the Ohio a group. This is a group that is the umbrella group for ultra-Orthodox rabbis throughout the nation, and in mm -hmm. Cleveland is headed by Rabbi Eric Yitz Frank. And we all work together to get this done, and uh, we're very proud of them. And I want to thank the bill's sponsors, Representative Andy Thompson from Marietta, and Representative Dave Greenspan from Westlake, and also I want to thank uh, the uh, head of the com Senate uh, committee that... Uh, Cast this through to the Senate floor, uh, Chairman Frank LaRose, who spoke for the resolution on the floor of the Senate. He'll be our new Secretary of State come January. So I want to thank all those people. And it, 
we had to put something together where all these people were cooperating. And, and the resolution also passed on in the House committee. So this bodes very well for getting uh, similar legislation that's going to help the people of the state of Ohio and uh, help all of our agendas uh, in the coming legislative session. I also want to commend the the citizens of Ohio, too. Um, We launched a campaign uh, to get people to call in, and the citizens spoke up. And right after those phone calls were generated, we saw movement on HCR 10. So, you know, when we're all working together, citizens, organizations, the state legislature were able to accomplish this. And I just want to encourage everybody, um, if they want to get involved, get more information, go to our website at pjtn.org. There's a page for Ohio there. And also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You read my mind, Lori. That was going to be my last question yeah. to you, is how can people who want to support the Endeavor, uh, you know, get get involved in this, and what can they do, particularly as it pertains to, to BDS and being anti-BDS? Because as you, as you both uh, uh, so eloquently pointed out, I mean, literally the survival of Israel is at stake. Uh, you know, right. if, if, people, if, if, if people and businesses and companies boycott Israel, uh, divest from their, uh, you know, from, from Israel, I mean, really, the survival of the nation state of Israel is, is in jeopardy here. Mike, I'll give you the last word. I got a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just want to say I did leave a couple of people out to thank Dan Ramada and Act for America, Cleveland uh, and uh, and uh, Columbus chapters really helped us with boots on the ground and making phone calls. And I also can't leave out my wife, Dr. Beverly Goldstein, who worked very hard with me and supported me on uh, getting this through for the last two years, even though everybody knows she was highly involved in something else at the time. Um, so, well, yeah, sure uh, yeah, congratulations are <laughs> congratulations are due all around, and thanks, as you said, are, are due all around to all of those individuals. However, uh, the work continues, as you both pointed out. You have to work on getting the law passed now to uh, uh, to adopt that um, uh, State Department uh, description of anti-Semitism and more. So, we certainly want to stay in touch with both of you on that. Uh, Lori Cardozamore, President and Founder of PJTN, and Mike Goldstein, the State of Ohio Director. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on to share the information with us. Thanks, Bob. It's a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you, and thank you, Lori, as well. It's 10 o'clock now. Let's get to the news. We're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan on the other side right here on AM 1420, The End. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.